This podcast is sponsored by Great White Hot Sauce. It's a small batch, handmade hot sauce, made specially for you. So if you like hot sauce, you'll love Great White Hot Sauce. It's the hot sauce that bites back. Find it at www.trygreatwhite.com. Well, here we are at episode 57. Wow, we have a long way to go. So in this episode, to celebrate episode 57, well, we're not really. Just thought I'd pique your interest. Really has nothing to do with episode 57. It's just another episode. But on this episode, we have a new co-host for the night. Filling the... <laughs> well, this is how this goes. <laughs> I uploaded the wrong intro. I knew something was going to happen. I knew it. So this is, like I always say, the the live stream is just a means to an end to the podcast. So I'll edit in the uh, the other part of the podcast but let me skip that and <laughs> jump back into this hold on man chair the co-host uh, yeah. uh, let's get it here five there four three <laughs> i put the two, wrong one in one zero all engine running liftoff we have a liftoff All right, enough of that. <laughs> I put the wrong intro in. Holy shit. All right, so I'm not going to edit this out. So if you're listening to the podcast right now, I do the live stream, and the live stream is just a uh, means to an end to get the audio to upload into the podcast. Uh, I had a whole, you know, this episode's intro all figured. I did it all today, and. I upload it into this program and I go to start the live stream and it's the wrong fucking intro. <laughs> it's from episode 57. I'm like, whoa, I know we've done more than that. So not off to a good start. Not off to a good start. But you know what's going to make it a better start? My co-host for the night from the Music Relish Podcast, Music Relish Podcast, Mark Smith. How you doing, Scott? <laughs> well... A little fucked up at the beginning. I'm feeling a lot calmer now. Yeah, yeah. You know, you get shit ready, and no matter how many times you do it, you just want it to go right. And and when the and, and you get your mind prepped in, and you know, I didn't even say this. Welcome to the podcast. You know the name, so I'm not going to say it. We're streaming live right now over Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter. And uh, I didn't say any of that. You see, oh, my fucking groove is all fucked up. My rhythm is all whacked out. <laughs> told you when jack's not here it's, it's it's a total fuck up uh well i don't give him that much credit i, <laughs> I wouldn't give him that much credit and as you know jack's not here so uh filling in is one of the hosts from the music relish podcast and i appreciate him coming in uh, at the last minute uh mark smith as i just said what's up buddy i'm good how you doing I'm doing better now. I'm a little calmer now. I got all that. I'm, I'm, I got to get back in the groove like like a needle, needle on an album. 
Gotta stay in the groove. No skips. And don't bang the table. Don't skip. Don't that bang record. the table. Yeah, yeah. And if you really want to, you can tape a quarter to my head. <laughs> and I'll it'll keep me low. Keep me in the groove. So uh how's everything going on the Music Relish podcast? We're getting there. We're getting there. Uh the mic's going. So <laughs> we sound great. Yeah. Uh Lou and uh, Perry every week, they just show me how much, how little I know about music. Damn, those guys are good. They, they know a lot of shit. Yeah, well, you hold your own. Trust me. You, 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 you're no slouch yourself, my friend. I got my own little corner of the music world. That's you know? all I stick you to need. That's <laughs> all you need. Just get your niche in that show and you're all set. Yeah. And you're all set. Uh, and you guys are now on YouTube? YouTube. Uh, we're on Facebook and good. Apple. And there's something else in there that Perry mentioned. He's getting us on a lot of, on a lot of platforms. So good. We're doing yeah, good in that front. Yep. You got to branch it out. And then uh, I see you've uh, you've changed your background. You're getting Just more spicy, a little more. 90 get, degree turn. There you go. That's all it takes. <laughs> you know, tech, actually, my desk actually faces this way. But I have to sit like this because that's as far the camera, like the setting back there. So I'm actually facing the corner of my desk. Eh, That's a thing know. with me. I don't mind being at an angle. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's all good. I, I yeah. get used to it. I get used to it. As long <laughs> as the audience doesn't see it, I don't care if they see it or not. But uh, what did you guys talk about this week? Our uh, big, uh, we, we have a feature that one of us will recommend an album to uh, the other two to listen to and review it. So Lou recommended the fabulous expedition of Dillard and Clark. And I knew nothing about it. So I went into a cold and it was Gene Clark from the birds. Yeah. And this guy Dillard and, you, and Lou, I'm sorry, you're going to kill me. I can't remember his full name, but it's, it was after the birds went kaput or he left the birds. And it's like a, that late sixties country around the time of the fabulous burrito brothers. So, uh, wow. I just got into it. I loved it. Listened to it all week. It grew on me. And that's what I like about that segment. One of us gets to pick something out for the other two to listen to. Get us into new music. Yeah, that's um. Is that? Is that me? I hear a yeah. beep. Yeah, that was. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. Stop! Shut your fucking car off. <laughs> it could be here, you know. Fucking outside the studio. <laughs> no, it was outside the studio. <laughs> Fuckers! Just it's just won't stop at the beginning of this show. It won't stop. <laughs> Shit that's never happened before. It's all of a sudden coming crumbling down on me. But I'd rather have it all happen at once. There you than go. A little speckled throughout throughout each show. Look, um, it, it was one thunderstorm at Woodstock. That was it. Just one thunderstorm. <laughs> Nothing bad happened after that. Good analogy. Good analogy. Well, depends on what Woodstock you're talking about. Because a lot of shit went bad after the second Woodstock. Oh, yeah. With the rain and the mud and the. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever see that documentary on on Woodstock? The 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 what was it? I forget. Jack and I had spoke about it. The second one was it the second one or the third one? I think it was the third one where they started burning shit. Oh yeah, yeah. And so I I was at the second one in Saugerties, and I was lucky to be in a parking lot a mile from the stage, so we didn't have to depend on the bus to take us in. And it was actually we had a great time. I didn't want to go near the third one. When I saw the lineup of bands, I said, it's going to be bad news. It was on blacktop. It wasn't even on dirt. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're kidding me. So yeah, I was not surprised when I saw what happened. There's a documentary on that, and it was just fucking, and Jack was there. Jack was there with some of my other friends, 
And uh, that was just fucking nuts. The bands, I mean, I I, I remember, I, I actually, uh, it was on pay-per-view, and you could pay for a certain band. Hmm. So my kids at the time, they were probably, I don't know, my daughter was probably 14, 15, and my son was like 11 or something. And uh, we really liked corn and Limp Biscuit back. So we're talking, you know, the early, the late, late 90s, early mm-hmm. 2000s, early 2000s. And so we got the set for Limp Biscuit, and they put on a great job. I, I don't know why people dog that group. Like, they either love them or they hate them. Nucky was a great song. That album, the whole album was a good album. Yeah. yeah. Dollar Bill, y'all, that whole album is fucking good. Yeah. But I guess you have to like that type of music. But then Corn was just fucking they're, crazy. They're great. I've seen them six times. I will see them every single time. And I always say this. They will not fail you. They have never let me down. Mm. They fucking great show every time. Energetic. Uh, just It's just got a nice vibe to it. Everybody's cool, but all amped up, you know, because they yeah. can get a crowd amped up. And yeah. you see it. When they did uh, Blind, and when he says, are you ready? Are you ready? And the whole fucking crowd is like a sea of people going up and down. It was like a wave. Uh-huh. It was crazy, man, to watch it on TV, let alone be in there. You ever been in one of those like crowds, like a surge crowd? Not a mosh pit, but like a surge crowd, I call it. Yeah, one time scared the shit out of me. I, um, I saw Living Color. Remember them? Oh yeah, yeah, with yeah. Vernon uh Vernon Reed. Vernon yeah. Reed, guitar player, yeah. So, yeah. I love their second album, the one with Elvis is Dead, or it might be their third album. That was my favorite. And they were they played right here near to where I live. They were like 20 minutes away at this time this club. And I go there and I'm, I'm gonna get up front because I didn't even think of people at a living concert, living color concert <laughs> moshing or anything, you know. Right. They come on. And uh, he goes into the riff of Cult of Personality. I'm like, cool, this is going to be great. It's a great riff, too, by the way, yeah. Once the drums came in, I was just, like, squished, and I was being pushed back and forth, and I went, no, no, I'm claustrophobic. (laughs) Just Ah. right to the back. That did, (laughs) but uh, I know people that love it. (laughs) I saw uh, Rage Against the Machine in Albuquerque. I was stationed in Albuquerque, and a bunch of us went to the concert, and... um, it was at uh, University of New Mexico. It was at their, their like, arena type thing. And um, on the floor, going up front. Now, mind you, Albuquerque is like Denver. It's mile high. People don't refer to it as mile high. Everyone thinks Denver's. Albuquerque is mile high also, which means the altitude, the air is thinner. And I never fucking adjusted to that. Mm. I was there for, like, two years, and I never adjusted to that thin air and i get into this concert and it's the first time i've seen rage and uh they just kick off and this shit just the surge right and i'm in it and i'm starting it but then i started to fucking like you get uh, this is getting a little little claustrophobic here you know but i'm trying to hang in there and i'm like your brain just tells you get the fuck out just get out you know, because you're going to die, right? Your brain's yeah. you're going to die, right? Playing minds, playing, my mind's playing tricks on me. Um, and I just fucking bulldoze my way out of there. 
like they were like bowling pins. I just turned around and just started mowing down people to get the fuck out of that thing, man. Isn't it funny that if you were in that situation and you said, I got to go to the bathroom, you'd never make it out of there. But when no. you get that, fuck, I got to get out of here. You just <laughs> got to start. And But yeah. the thing is, people think it's fucking fun because it's part of the whole thing. Getting yeah. knocked around and being, yeah. well, I'd knock some motherfuckers around. I'll tell you that. Got out <laughs> and so I get out of it. And I'm now, you know, it's probably like the first I don't know, say 10 to 15 yards of people is just that surge. So you get out of there, you get like the 20 yard line, right? Yeah. And um, there's a dude in a wheelchair. And I'm like, I just, and he's like rocking his chair back and forth, like on the wheels. And I'm like, what's up, dude? And he's like, yeah, rage, man, rage. I'm like, yeah, you want a mosh? He goes, yeah. So I take, I fucking get behind his wheelchair and I start tipping him like, and fucking spinning him around. Dude. I hung with that dude the whole show. It was fucking great. And my buddies come out of the sun. They see me with this dude in a wheelchair. And I'm pushing him. And they were like, what the fuck is that? Like, how did that happen? I go, dude's cool. We were fucking wheelchair marching. It was, it was more fun than being in that fucking hellhole. I'll yeah, tell you that. Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you that one of my buddies lost his shoe. <laughs> How do you lose a shoe? That's Usually you have to get hit by a car to get lose your shoe. I'm I said, <laughs> he goes, I'm like fucking shoeless Joe. <laughs> I fucking lost my shoe. <laughs> or like in the Sopranos, in the one where they're out in the fucking the Barrens, the, what is it, in, in New Jersey, and Polly Walnuts loses his shoe. I lost my shoe. I lost my shoe. Then my buddy came out. I lost my shoe. It's fucking hilarious. Yeah. Oh, shit. A lot of concert stories. Oh, yeah. I know. So speaking of concerts, you recently went to one that I, I would not have gone to. I needed that, that abuse to send you that picture. <laughs> First of all, I was it, it was at better, City Field. And better than you than me, buddy. You mean Shea Stadium? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, it is Shea Stadium. <laughs> Who did you see? Dead and Company. Yeah. Wait, cue the booze. Um, yeah, I love them. It's a jazz band that can pack 60,000 people in a stadium. Yeah. You know, I'm certainly not a deadhead. I just drank alcohol. So that bars me <laughs> from the club right away, you know. Um, but being a jazz fan, I sit back and then my son in law, you know, we just sat there. We weren't up to, I don't go in the standing room. They don't mosh, but I'm not going to go up there. So we just sit in the seats and listen. And, and John Mayer is just a fantastic guitarist the show was with intermission it was four hours and 20 minutes but three and a half hours of it was john mayer soloing and when i say soloing it wasn't boring soloing the guy was just playing off the wall stuff wow so if it wasn't for him they wouldn't be packing it in he's he definitely carries it right 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 and they have their own kind of cult following yeah it's as close as you can get to the old grateful dead you got three of the original members and so that's yeah they get the they they're amazing is that they there's been no studio album from these guys since the last Grateful Dead album and they can still sell out these baseball stadiums yeah. just amazes me. There were those groups that are like that. I mean Dave Matthews does it. Mm-hmm. Um, they just have a have a a, a rabid audience. Uh, yeah. Incubus does that. Mm-hmm. They they you know they can drop an album you wouldn't even know about it but they everywhere they go their fans follow. Yeah. You know. Which is built-in revenue. 
Hey, that's look. Nobody <laughs> makes money from records anymore. It's all about uh, touring. You know. Well, wasn't it always though? Wasn't it where? Isn't that how the bands really made their money? Was out on tour. <laughs> kind of, but. Let's face it. When you and I were growing up, everybody bought the records, and then it became everybody bought the CDs. So they were they were getting a check on royalties. And I think in the seventies, I read somebody say that the tours were just promoting the albums to sell the albums to make the money. And it's totally different now. It's tour to make the money and see if you have money to make an album. How much per unit though were they getting? I guess it it depends on the deal. Like I'm sure the Rolling Stones were getting you know, a dollar per unit or something like that. But back then an album, a Rolling Stones album in the seventies was like seven bucks, yeah. you know, then it went up to 10 and I was like, Oh shit. And then it was 12 and you know, now they're fucking 30. Yeah. That's a rip <laughs> you know? off. I'll never buy an album new. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I I've it, done that. Yeah. You know? I think it was a deal you signed, like you said, cause uh, Peter Grant with Led Zeppelin, I think they had a great deal. But, also the other, hottest band in the world, though. So he knew yeah. what he had. He knew yeah. what he had with yeah. them. But the other thing that's involved in there is the publishing, which is a whole different animal. I don't know exactly how it works. So you got record royalties and you got publishing. And some bands did sign it away and they didn't make much. And other bands got it back. Some of these bands bought their whole catalog. Metallica, they got their whole catalog. God bless them. So all the CDs that Metallica sell, they're making the money. And I think they deserve to. It's not yeah. going to a record label. Yeah. I said that last week about Kate Bush for that song running up the hill. She has the publishing rights and the writing, you know, the, um, the Roy, what is it? The, you said the publishing and, and the, the, the royalties. I mean, now yeah, it, the it's writing credit and she got yeah. the writing credit and the, uh, the publishing credit. She owned everything. So she's pulling in, like I said last week, almost 300 grand a week just for that one song. That's great. You know, and, and yeah. good for her. Yeah. And she, uh, not to hop on last week's episode, but again, she never toured. Yeah. She's she's fucking before this thing happened. I, I I looked it up. She's already worth like seventy million. God you know? bless her. Yeah. Again, another woman that had another artist that has a a rabid following. Mm-hmm. She put out ten albums, and her people show up. Not my kind of music. Like, I'm not going to be that guy. Oh, say Kate Bush is great. I can listen to her, but, like, I listened to one of her albums, and it was, like, 50-50. There was some good songs, very interesting songs, but then there was some some just, uh, how can I put it, avant-garde songs. And she likes that stuff. She's very artsy. And I yeah, like, ah. I mean, I consider myself a fan of her music but there's stuff that just escapes me. You know, I can't yeah. sit and listen to an album run front to back. Maybe someday I will, you know, but for now yet, but that running up the hill is a great song. I love it. Oh, it is. It's, it's, it is a fabulous song. And it's one of those songs where, um, I don't, I, I don't think I've ever turned it off. You mm. know, I don't think I've ever heard that one. Ah, I don't want to hear that song. I just, it's, it's just one of those songs. Very unique. Yeah. Uh, different sound and on the album that that's off of, uh, what is it? uh hounds of love or something like that i think so yeah and uh that's a standout song on the whole album like it's totally different than all the other songs on the album Mm -hmm. um but that was last week this is this week so i i I, again i sent you the uh you know kind of what i wanted to talk about tonight and this one you know uh song origins and i know it's hard to like 
for someone that got 20 minutes notice. <laughs> like, I had 20 minutes to say, I got to find somebody. Oh, I know he'll come through for me. Mark Smith will come through for me. <laughs> That's because I'm sitting around doing nothing. That's me. I got a boring life. <laughs> Listening to some John Coltrane album, you know? Ah, well, you and Jack can listen to that. Yeah. Um, so song origins or like kind of how the song came about or which is an origin or what the song is about and, and stuff like that. Doesn't necessarily have to be like, it's about this, this, and this. So, I uh, I was listening to this song recently, and it's probably one of the quintessential '70s songs, and it's it's a it's a true true classic song in itself, uh, and it does represent the '70s in its way in a, in a, in a big way. Um, the year of the cat, I mean, it's a fucking masterpiece. That song is just a masterpiece. Absolutely. It's so, uh, it's got, it just evokes the mood. It gives right off the bat, it evokes a mood. And you just listen, and, and Al Stewart, you know, the Scottish guy, um, his voice, just his voice is perfect for that song, you know? Uh, and he's, he's a talented dude himself. And I actually saw a video of him on, uh, somebody sent it to me on, uh, he was uh, live at Daryl's. You know, Daryl Hall, yeah, live at Daryl's. Love that and show. He, oh, he did, it was on the TV show? Yeah, yeah. He did uh, Year of the Cat with, with that band. Yeah. Except that it changed a little bit, I think. There was an audience, like a kind of a walk-in audience. Oh, okay. Watching it. Um, and the guy still has a great voice. He's got to be, fuck, late, mid-70s at least. Hmm. Al Stewart, you know? Um can't hit those higher notes, but he adjusted and he did a they did a great version of Year of the Cat. Um so do you know who produced Year of the Cat? Funny you say that, Scott, because we were talking about that producer the other week on our show. <laughs> it was Alan Parsons produced that album. Yeah. I knew you'd know that. <laughs> <laughs> he was also the engineer on that song. He usually did both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He produced, I think he produced that whole album. Um, he also produced Time Passages mm. and engineered Time Passages. So Al Stewart's two biggest hits, two best-selling albums. Thank you, Alan Parsons. Yep. <laughs> right? and, and may I say, it's probably because when Alan Parsons produces, he does kind of take control. He, he said to, he said he wanted to be to music what a Martin Scorsese is to a movie. He wants to direct it. So Year of the Cat, it was Alan's idea to put that saxophone solo on it. Al Cooper didn't want it. And he's, come on, let's do it. Well, made the song. Yeah, yeah. He knew what he was going after. Certainly did. That is, a, that is a key part of that song. Again, adds to the whole mood, you know. Mm -hmm. So the song came about, though. There was a keyboard player named Peter Wood. And Peter Wood was in a band. It's like a Scottish uh, British band. So the Sutherland brothers were a Scottish group. They were a duo, but they had a, people playing behind them. Well, they, uh, they merged with a band called Quiver, which is a British band. So the keyboard player is named Peter Wood. So Al, uh, Al Stewart goes on um, tour in 75 
and he brings him with him. And actually, the guitarist from Quiver played with him also, and he was on the Year of the Cat, the, the album. And uh, he said every time he was in, in, the, in for sound check, the keyboard player would play the opening notes to the Year of the Cat on the piano. Dun, 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 dun right? Ooh. And he's, he said, I, I, I heard it like fucking 14 times I had to hear that thing. And I said, that's a great tune. Can I, can I write lyrics to it? And the guy's like, yeah, sure. You're fucking Al Stewart. You're, you're, the, you're my boss right now, so have at it. So he's thinking, what can, what can I put to this tune? So there was a, there was a comedian in Britain called Tony Hancock. And Tony Hancock was very popular. He had, and I guess Al Stewart kind of knew him. And Tony Hancock was going on tour to Australia. And Al Stewart had said I, something wasn't right with them. He just kind of saw there was something off with them. Because he saw Australia and he commits suicide. Right? So, there you go. So, he says, I'm going to write a song about Tony Hancock. And the line was, your tears fell down like rain at the foot of the stage. At the foot of the stage. Right? Yeah. So, he brings it to the record company. The record company says, the fuck is Tony Hancock? <laughs> like, Ooh. we can't sell. They're basically, that's what they say. We, we don't yeah. know who he is. Yeah. So, you know, do write something else. <clears throat> so, he decides to, to put lyrics about a princess named Anne, and the song was Horse of the Year. Princess Anne rode off on the horse of the year. <laughs> He's like, that didn't go either. Nah, right? that doesn't work. That was, that's not so he said. He's like, I'm I'm starting to lose my fucking mind over this. I, I'm Al Stewart's a very mellow dude, so I'm sure he didn't say, I'm losing my fucking mind over this, right? No, he said, We're in a pickle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he 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 just couldn't come up with anything. So he had a girlfriend, which I always thought I don't know the way he sang. Time passages. I just always thought. I'm not judging. Just I just thought I just thought maybe, maybe I mean, which yeah. which the guy has great music. So I'm not judging. I like I listen. I used to listen to Sylvester, who was like the disco, the first disco. Uh, a trans man, you know, like cross-dresser. I love you. Know, hey, listen, I don't care. You, you're fucking good, buddy. You dress, you fly, let your freak flag fly, buddy. That's fine with me. So I always thought Al Stewart was kind of, you know, but hey, anyway, so he has a girlfriend and she had this obscure book on the Chinese, like Zodiac, which is the year of this year that, and he saw in the book, um, the chapter was open to year of the cat. He's like, okay. He says, I'm not, 
I'm not the brightest bulb in the house, but I know a good title of a song when I see one. It's kind of how he's looked at it. Yeah. So he says, okay, I got Year of the Cat. I can't write a song about a fucking cat. <laughs> like, you know, it's not really going to work. <laughs> it's not going to work. So he's just stuck with this great melody. And now he's got a really cool name for the song. And he's just like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. And he just happens to sit down and Casablanca comes on. He's like, ooh, fucking inspiration. And that's the opening line, right? In the morning from a Bogart movie in ooh. a country where they turn back time, he goes strolling through the crowd like Peter Laurie, contemplating a crime, which our generation, my generation gets that. Because Peter Laurie was always this like sinister character. Oh, yeah. He was a fucking master at that. I mean, we were talking about Will Farrell earlier, and we were talking about Adam Sandler before the show and how they're kind of they typecast themselves into that role. Well, Peter Laurie was the fucking master at that. And I used to love his movies. He has some pretty bizarre movies. Um so he's like, Well, there it is. I got it. That's that's the opening line. And then in between the Vietnamese, I guess, astrology, it was Vietnamese, not Chinese, it was Vietnamese astrological book in, in fucking Casablanca. He comes up with Year of the Cat, all thanks to Peter Wood, mm. the keyboard player, the piano player. And he got credit for the song. He, he, he wrote the music for it. And uh, he, he, he's not with us anymore, but... If it wasn't for a sound check, yeah, that fucking brilliant song would never have been written. Wouldn't even have come close. Wow. I never yeah. knew that story. I never knew about that. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool, right? I, I would love to know if there was some kind of box set where we could hear the if he had a demo with the original lyrics about that Hancock guy. It might be pretty interesting. You know? Yeah, I, I'm sure the record company burned those tapes <laughs> back then. They had no time for this. Yeah. They didn't have foresight. They're no. like, we're going to tape over that. Don't fucking throw that reel away. No, don't burn it. Let's reuse it, tape which has happened. Money. Now, isn't that what happened in Led Zeppelin's Whole Lot of Love? There was a bleed through. They were and, just and the echo effect, right? Yeah, that, they were recording so hot, so loud that it bleeds through. You can also hear it on the first album. Uh at the end of days of confused. Um, no, it is there is um, on some one song on Led Zeppelin one, you hear the same thing. It's just, you have, yeah, the, it's, it's bleeding through the next track and it made it otherworldly. I used to sit when I was young and say, how'd they get that reverse echo? How the hell did they do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So little, uh, little side note, or a little fun fact about that group quiver that, that uh, the keyboard player came from. So the lead guitarist from Quiver, Tom Renwick, went on to play lead guitar with Al Stewart and later, and a later incarnation of Pink Floyd, right? The bassist, Bruce Thomas, likewise recorded with Al Stewart in 72 and 73 and subsequently joined Elvis Costello in the attractions. Wow. Right? Peter Wood, a.k.a. Peter Woods, contributed keyboards to Al Stewart's albums from 72 to 78, and then later worked with Cindy Lauper and also worked 
with Pink Floyd during their 1980-81 shows for The Wall. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and the drummer, Willie Wilson, recorded with Al Stewart, 72-73, and also worked with Pink Floyd during the period of 80-81 when the band were touring The Wall and played drums on David Gilmore's first solo album. Very good album. So this fucking group of, like, this talented group of musicians and yeah. a band called Quiver, and nobody fucking knows that they even existed. <laughs> right? You know, what's really neat about that is you got two distinct eras of music. So you got Quiver from that early 70s. Yeah. And... 80s to to me 80s still feels like it's yesterday but it really it was very close to the 70s obviously so you got yeah you got a lot of these musicians from the early 70s that were working on pop albums in the 80s it's it's incredible yeah right i mean this yeah. guy's working with cindy lapa i mean <laughs> a gig's a gig and yeah gig's a gig listen if evidently you got to be good enough you yeah. know so it's amazing i just thought that was kind of really like that, that that's where you see this, this talented group of people but they never went anywhere. Yeah. Then you got a group like Squeeze with fucking all talented and they they shoot off into the stratosphere. Yeah. For for a short time. Mhm. You you like Squeeze? Yeah. That uh Singles and 45s, that greatest hits is in my opinion one of the greatest greatest hits albums ever. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that was is a fucking great album. That's the only vinyl I ever bought from them. <laughs> It's oh, like, singles you know, and 45s? Singles I went down and I was like, I knew every song on it. So I'm like, all right, I got it. <laughs> so, and, and that's the thing about Squeeze, right? You hear that greatest hits and you're like, and, and I, I've had, I had this moment with Depeche Mode when I saw them in concert in Southern California um, at the Blockbuster Pavilion. And like, they play a song. I'm like, yeah. Then like, oh, fuck. I forgot that they played this one. Oh, yeah. Oh, this one too. Oh, fuck. I forgot about that one. Like, you just like, it blows your mind how many great songs they had. And then when they put them all together, you're like, holy fuck, how did I miss all this? Like, why didn't I ever put this together? Yeah. You know, that's right. Yeah, exactly. That's what that album was, you know, cool for cats up the junction, you know, I mean, just every from song from start to finish is a great song and they're all different. Yeah. Like they, they all had a unique sound to them. You know, who was it? Uh, 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 Tilford and Gifford. Gifford. Yeah. Yeah. Glenn. Uh, oh, Glenn man. Tilford. Isn't it Glenn Tilford? Glenn. <laughs> Time to do my. Uh... <laughs> no, it's, it's Glenn Tilford and um, Chris Difford. Is it Chris? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Those two. And then you had who was playing guitar. He has, uh, um, I mean, the piano. He, he has the show on BBC. Jules, Jules Holland. Holland. Yeah. Great piano player. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, they actually brought in somebody else who sang uh, Tempted. I forget who that is. I, offhand, I can't remember his name. But, yeah, what a, what a great group. And I had a chance to see them in fucking really? Fort Lauderdale on my bucket list. They've always been on my bucket list. And I, I fucking get the tickets. Nice. The Fort Lauderdale Center for the Performing Arts. You know the acoustics are going to be fucking great. We had great seats. Paid for them, but it's worth it. Fucking COVID. Ah, yeah. COVID. They never came back. Ah. That happened with fucking, also with Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. It was supposed to play in Boston. I got tickets. I was going to take Jack and his wife. 
COVID. <laughs> but fucking Ticketmaster, they locked their phones. Couldn't yeah. get to them. So yep. I fucking <clears throat> money. They they would they had this kind of redirecting because they would have went bankrupt. Yeah. They were trying to get you to take credit for another concert. They I even had tried concert, that. Yeah. Then yeah. they were like, oh, uh, you didn't call us in time. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. In time, I couldn't get through. Yeah. So, you know, water under the bridge, but. Eh, it's yeah. a lot of money to lose, you know. It was. I wasn't happy. Yeah. I wasn't fucking. I knew I should have got Jack's money up front. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the chance I took. I ate it. No problem. No problem. As Tom will attest, watch those guitar players. <laughs> We're a sneaky breed. <laughs> Uh, well, at least when I do, uh, you know, to stay in music and that stuff, you're not fucking, you won't be strumming your guitar. Um, look behind me. Hey, 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 easy now. <laughs> I, I won't easy get it. I now, promise. Buddy. I promise. <laughs> I, <laughs> although I would press through. I would press on. I've been annoyed for a year with that fucking guitar strumming by him. I could f*** with yours. Don't worry, buddy. Don't worry. Um. What do you got? You got anything for a uh, origin? Well, I got I got two dingleberries compared to that story. No, no, no. Hey, told, listen, you know? they're all good, man. It's all um, content. It's all good. Just to uh, going back to that thing of how Al heard the guy playing the piano. That's also a story with Layla, where um, who was playing the piano? It was the drummer from Derek and the Dominoes. Eric happened to be walking past, and he was playing the piano, and it was that second half of Layla, which just gets me like. Layla in its original incarnation was just the rock part and yeah. it wouldn't have been nearly the same without that. And if we that didn't have breakdown. that second half, Martin Scorsese wouldn't have had music from one of the best scenes in Goodfellas. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. It's funny how it's just, this schlops, these things schlop together and they, they get these songs that come out. So, well, so, let me that, ask you this. What yeah. was a better song to a better scene? Was it Layla and Goodfellas or can you hear me knocking? on casino i i gotta go with layla because at the point of the movie it's kind of like everybody's getting knocked off yeah, yeah. and it was kind of like that climax where you hear this beautiful music while you're seeing these bodies piling up you know <laughs> you know what the creepiest part of that movie was to me yeah it's fucking just the creepiest scene in the whole movie was when uh henry hill's wife met robert de niro she and he's like, Hey, I got I got a coat for you. I got a fur coat for you. Just go down, go down the alley, go down there. And she's yeah. like, down there. Yeah. He goes, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go down there. Go mm-hmm. in the door. Go in the door. You go. And he's like looking around. And she kind of looks and she steps in, and there's like these fucking five guys in there. And yep. she's like, Oh, fuck. And you this. don't see them. You just see the silhouettes. And they're looking yeah. at her and they're starting to walk toward you. You're like, get the fuck out of there. Yeah, like he like that's how fucked up that dude was. And De Niro's face looking at her like yeah she's gonna yeah. die you know <laughs> that, he was setting her yeah. up to get fucking raped yeah. and murdered like great scene great oh scene. it's just it always creeped me out I'm like Jesus Christ because nah, the movie's so go, good Henry. I gotta yeah. go I gotta <laughs> go yeah and you're like run get to the fucking car <laughs> yeah and it makes yeah. you know like you know what was gonna happen yeah you just like you know this was not gonna be good for her yeah, yeah. it's gonna be brutal for her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that that always freaked me out that scene. Yeah, but uh, so "Ticket to Ride" by the Beatles. Mm-hmm. There's actually two stories behind that one. 
There's two stories behind it. You got McCartney's version, his story, and John Lennon's story, right? Paul McCartney says that it's literally a British railway ticket to ride. Uh, His cousin lived in one of these uh, seaside towns in the northeast coast of England, um, actually of the Isle of Wight. And he owned a bar there, and it was basically they bought tickets to go there to hang out in the pub. And uh, when they got there, they hitchhiked to the pub, like from the train station. So it's literally a ticket to ride. Well, John Lennon's version of the of the meaning of ticket to ride was when they were in Germany, they would go to like the brothels or they would go to the bars and there's girls in there. There's there's bar mm-hmm. girls, as we call them in, in the Philippines, there's bar girls. And they would have to get health checks. Like you could ask the girl, let me see, when when did you get a last checkup? Mm-hmm. And they have health cards. Like I got checked up, blah, blah, blah. Which is smart. It's smart. And John Lennon referred to those things as that's his ticket to ride. Those health cards were his ticket to ride, right? Now, I don't know if that's the real, like if if he was just fucking around when he said that, but that was his version of ticket to ride was to bang a whore in Germany and not worry about getting VD. And I, yeah, I still call it VD. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. None of this STD. Uh, it's a, it's VD. Okay. I still remember health class in high school. Yeah. It's venereal disease. Kind of like that kind of sounds better. Doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, if you get it, you might as well just be fucking hardcore with it. Right. It, it rolls off I, the tongue. Venereal yeah. disease. Yeah. Like what, what sounds better? I have an STD <laughs> or yeah, I got fucking VD. So what? I don't know. It just sounds more hard. If you're going to get it, get it all the way. Just go all the way with it. Just, where did we all go? the way, May. Where did we go? How did this kind of get off track for a second there? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, Anyways, listen, your bad luck, your bad luck tonight. My pop screen fell down. Everything's see, going wrong tonight. See, but we press on through, my friend. We press oh, on through. It's that Black Sabbath album I have on the wall. It's cursing us. <laughs> Which one? Uh, Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. <laughs> ah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. The pop screen. I think the pop screen's overrated, though. I, I think pop screen. I had one before. Yeah. Like, yeah. They do yeah. work if you get too into it. Like when I fight with people like on this. <laughs> well, I don't know, Scott. Yeah. Hey, look who just showed up. Louie. <laughs> Louis, hey, Louis. Louis. He's, like, he's surprised to see you. Yeah. This, all right, Lou, I'm not going to rehash the whole thing. Watch the beginning of the show. I explain everything. <laughs> I explained everything, but it's good. He popped in. He's like, Oh shit. <laughs> so you got another one? Well, I got a little one. Like I had, I had no time to, to get the stories together, but one thing I always, friend. what what I find uh, lucky man, ELP. Now me and Tom are obviously big Emerson Lake and Palmer fans, but in concert, that's the beer song. Like when he starts to play it, Greg would always go, you can sing it with me. Me and Tom would look at each other, beer. 
you know, we just got tired of it. But he wrote that song when he was 12 years old. His mother gave him a guitar and he claims that was the first song he ever wrote. Which one? With Emerson Lake or Palmer? Which one? Uh, Greg Lake. Sorry, Greg Lake. Greg Lake. He, any ballad in ELP was Greg Lake. So my, one of my favorite Christmas songs. Yeah. I love that. I love that song. Great lyrics. Doesn't get enough credit around Christmas. Well, Video's kind of strange. <laughs> it's terrible. It's people think it's this positive Christmas song. I'm like, guys, listen to the lyrics. Just yeah. listen. Yeah. It's not. <laughs> but um, you do listen to the lyrics of Lucky Man. It does sound something that a kid might write, but for 12 years old, he was damn prolific if you wrote that at 12. Didn't Paul McCartney write he wrote a song when he was like 12? One of the probably. Hits. I know it's on the tip of my tongue, but uh, I like that song, but I like the Verve, Lucky Man. It's not the same song, but it's a whole nother song. Have you ever listened to that? No. I ain't going to write that write down. Write it down, buddy. Write it yeah. down. Got my and homework you, to do. Yeah. And uh, it's called uh, Lucky Man. Um, and there's a great acoustic version of that, too. And if you want to hear a great Verve album, it was their last album. I think it's called 10th or something like that. Mm. Um, it's got, I think one of the songs is uh, like uh, Coffee with Judas or something like that. Yeah. Great, really, great album. They really got screwed over that uh, Bittersweet Symphony. They couldn't make, all the royalties were going to. The Rolling Stones. Yeah. And they didn't get a penny. And that was well, really the only big hit they had. Evidently, they they got that back. Jack and I were talking about that one episode, and he said that they actually ended up getting uh, royalties back from that. Good. It was a long, drawn-out court battle, but the Rolling Stones always said, do not fuck with our music. And they, and they were warned. They were warned. Yeah. Do not. Do not do that. And, they, and they actually sampled a symphony version of an obscure kind of Rolling Stones song. Yeah. And it just sounds like, nope, nope, you will not sample us. Three things you don't do. You don't sell a copy, um, a bootlegged Walt Disney anything, even a picture of a Walt Disney videotape, you'll get arrested. Don't screw the Stones and don't screw Led Zeppelin. You will, (laughs) you'll lose everything. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to get this. I know his name. Um... The album that the sample came from? No, no. Um, the lead singer, it's uh, Richard, yeah, Richard Ashcroft. That's what yeah, I thought. Yeah, that's, what yeah. I, that's what I thought. Not to be confused with John Ashcroft, who was in the uh, one of the White House administrations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my son-in-law is from England, and his Led Zeppelin growing up, is he was Oasis from 12 years old. Well, also the Verve. And about five years ago, he went to Central Park. And it was Richard Ashcroft and Liam Gallagher were both playing. And wow. it was a free show. Wow. And he said it was packed. Rain started coming in, downpour, flooding. Within five minutes, it was just English people left. <laughs> you know, ah. all the Americans left, you know. And yeah. he said it was great. He, he said it was, just, and I wish I went. That sounded like he got pictures of the show. And even Liam was like moving around, not just standing there with not his hands. Not just standing there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably trying yeah. to one-up Richard Ashcroft, well. you know? Now that that was always a style. I mean, uh, and I always say this, you know, what was it? It was the uh, the nineties is when basically Oasis ruled the world. Absolutely, they just dominated. They dominated. Yep. And his brother uh, Noel had said he's a good lead singer, but 
And I can tell you this, no one can wear a fucking parka better than him. <laughs> he always had that long parka on the jacket. He was one of those guys that could pull that. He pulls that off. That just yep. standing there, but there's something that's, he's charismatic. And he just kind of does that Conor McGregor kind of walk yeah. around the stage, very cocky. Not yeah. as animated as Conor McGregor, but just he just has that 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 thing that works for him. You know. Now let me ask you something. Yeah. Just think of him in that getup, and what if you were on the subway, you know, waiting for a train at eleven at night, and he's standing there looking at you? You'd be like, "Ah, oh, shit." <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't be. I'd be like, "Motherfucker, I'm gonna knock you the fuck out." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you looking at me? Don't be looking at me. You see that guy over there with the glasses and the long hair? <laughs> Look at him. How you doing, buddy? You like the dead? I like the dead. You might be better off that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you like the I dead? like progressive rock. <laughs> My name is Mark. What's yours? <laughs> Guaranteed to make him go the other way. Oh, shit. I, I wake um, up in the hospital. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Um, what else do I, oh, okay. All right. This isn't, this one is kind of known, but it's not. So Paul Simon's mother and child reunion. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that it was the name taking off, taken off a Chinese restaurant menu, a menu at a Chinese restaurant. One of the, one of the dishes was called mother and child reunion. Right. But the song was written after the family dog got killed, got run over and killed. And he, Paul Simon said, like, it's fucking like first you're here and then you're not. It's only a moment away, right? Wow. That's one of the lines in the song. Yeah. It's only a moment away. And that's, he was it just devastated the whole family. You know, this dog, the family pet, fucking randomly runs out the street and gets run over. So that song came from the death of a dog in a Chinese restaurant menu. And it's such a happy sounding song. Yeah, it is. It is. Paul Simon, he, he had his moment, but as he got older, I I didn't like that. uh, I didn't like Jack liked that album that won all those Grammys. The, the African Graceland was a Graceland. Yeah. I, I didn't like it when it came out. I was in high school. And it literally took like 20 years. And I think it was overhyped. Anytime an album is overhyped, I'm not going to like I'm it. I'm with you, buddy. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. And I thought it was slick and everything. And then 20 years later, I'm listening. And first of all, it's got Tony Levin on bass. He plays with Peter Gabriel. He's uh, the ball guy with the long fingers. And uh, to hear Boy on the Bubble, that's a, that's a really good track. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to give this another listen. And I, yeah, I like it. it okay. Just, don't tell me though. Don't tell me it won twenty Grammys because I don't care. You know, it's like I want to yeah. hear it on my own terms. So yeah, yeah, I'm the same way. I won't like like hyped up movies. That's why I never saw Top Gun. Like, no, not gonna fucking do it. Not gonna see yeah. it. I saw Top Gun. You know, uh, the re- the part two, great movie, hmm. but I watched like the seven minute synopsis on YouTube of of uh, Top Gun Part One. And I basically got everything I knew and they didn't, they, they made sure in that movie that they covered each character. Like they gave you their little, the, the little origin. Okay. They, they touched on everything. They kind of filled in. It was a good movie. Very, very, very good movie. Hmm. I liked it. I'm glad but, that uh, they were able to you take a movie that big 
And years later, when everyone's older, I'm, I'm actually happy, happy that they're able to make a good movie. I've heard from many people. It's good. 30, 30 years, years later. Wow. Yeah. And I saw it at like this. It's not even IMAX. There's another theater. I forget what it's called. Lux. So I go to this movie theater here in, in uh, well, it's in Delray, but it's that it's on the border of Boca. And uh, they have two theaters. They have the Lux Theater inside this big complex. It's a bowling alley, and then you got Lux, then you have IMAX, like one right next to each other. The difference is the sound and like the, this quality on the screen. They're very, you have to really pay attention to know the difference. I really don't, but yeah, I saw it in that. You got to see it in a big booming yeah. sound. Like if you got surround sound in your house, just fucking crank it up. Yeah. You know? I can't do the movie theaters with the recliners. I tried it and I stupidly what? saw one of the Hobbit movies and I fell asleep. It's because don't put me in a recliner for three hours. <laughs> then, then you don't have to recline it. <laughs> it's just don't hit the button. True. <laughs> My name yeah. is Mark. My yeah. name is Mark. <laughs> I'm Way speaking. Bring it around. <laughs> I'm speaking for Tom right now. Yeah, that's Mark. <laughs> My name is Mark. What's yours? <laughs> Somebody once told me this this lady was losing her mind, right? And she, and I knew her. She was kind of a friend of the family type thing. And she called me and she says, I'm, I'm just going to tell you that the TV's talking to me. What should I do? And I said, well, turn it off. <laughs> she goes, oh, I never thought of that. I never thought of that. There you go. You need anything else from me? <laughs> Just don't recline the chair, Mark. Yeah. Recline it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a guitar unless, player. I, unless I you like, yeah, unless you like the discomfort of the you know, the the uh, the 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 regular chairs, you know. Well, if you uh, sit in a recliner straight up, you look like a, uh, Archie Bunker, you know. <laughs> But it's it's high. It's got a high back. It's got a high yeah, back, yeah, you know. Yeah. And you can tilt it a little bit backwards. You can tilt it a little bit. You're good. You'll figure it out, Mark. Yeah, my luck. It'll go, and then the whole theater will be like looking at me, you know. So I don't, yeah. Then you shh. So, um, do you have another one or no? Um, yeah, very simple. Um, you know the song "Breathe" from Pink Floyd. Yeah, breathe. All right. So the chords on that there's A minor to D. This is kind of stupid, but I was reading that, and this is something really neat about Pink Floyd is when they were trying to write Dark Side of the Moon, they were just they had they had no they had writer's block, they didn't have anything, so they had a forty-five minute jam of A minor to D. That was a song that they worked into. All right, they made it into a song, and then all the juices started flowing, and then the rest of the album came. Oddly enough, when they did Wish You Were Here, this is a Another huge album, same thing. They were sitting in, I believe it was Abbey Road Studios. And they're paying time for Abbey Road, and they're just doing nothing, jamming, jamming, jamming. So, it, you know, but Breathe came out of a 45-minute jam of just, that must have been so boring. But, um, yeah, just kind of neat. You know, yeah. a little neat little thing there. You know, no one sat down and said, I'm going to write a song called Breathe. Breathe. Breathe in the air. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like that. Didn't, uh, didn't the dudes who are the dudes from 10 cc who's the dude from 10 cc uh godly, godly and cream and cream didn't they yeah. do a song called breathe 
Was that the they, video with the people crying or was that called? Yeah, crying? yeah, yeah. Is that is that is that called breathe? I can't remember. I do remember the video. It yeah. was a great video. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was different. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah. Video was better than the song. <laughs> hey, I have a uh, a Toto origin. All right. Song. Yeah. Rosanna. Uh-huh. So Rosanna Dana Dana. Yeah. All I want to do when I get up in the morning is peel you, banana, banana. <laughs> that was for Tom. <laughs> so in 1982, Rosanna Arquette, she won the Emmy for the Executioner's song, right? And that's when Toto released Rosanna, which is evidently part, part, partly inspired by Rosanna Arquette because she was dating Steve Porcaro, who is the keyboard player yep. for Toto. So evidently she was uh, the inspiration. But I guess they said in the years they kind of played it down. I think they kind of were like, no, let's not kind of go with that. But he said it. <laughs> he said it. She probably played it down. Wasn't she in the video? I think she was. Was she? I think she was a girl by the metal chain link fence. And yeah, so they even got her in that. Okay. Yeah, at the top of the world. Little, little, little fun fact. Um, they said, while he's never confirmed it, Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes, you know, the Lloyd Dobler in the movie, mm-hmm, he holds mm-hmm. the radio up. Yeah, that was the. One of the classic moments in in, yeah. in movie history in the movie what say anything, yeah. um, that was also written for Raquette because she was romantically involved with Gabriel for several years. Jesus, she was the Courtney Love of the eighties. Yeah, I guess so. Wow. And, and the fact that um, those uh, the beginning of Rosanna is all I want to do when I wake up in the morning is see your eyes, right? Yeah. So you kind of got to think that the Toto guy wrote that. On. So there you go. So she had two songs written about her eyes. And that's that's she's in rock history. I, I get. Well, she is now because milk crates and turntables just busted that story wide open. Oh, she's going to call in. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and um, um, on Toto four on that album, you know, the, the song Africa that everybody knows. I was always shocked. Like, how the hell could David Page write lyrics and incorporate the Kalahari into the rhythm and rhyming? And if he, it's, it took him a long time to write that song. I'm like, yeah, this is I weird bet. putting these a Kalahari. You gonna, someone tells you, put that in a song and rhyme to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, <God. laughs> rhyme to it. That's the key. So uh, let's move on. Let's move mm-hmm. on to um, the oh, one and only. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh. I'll tell yeah. you one song that just sure. recently cleared up for me. I read Phil Collins' autobiography. I'm fascinated with Phil Collins. Um, No, I'm not dead yet. Oh, okay. That's his own. And there was a rumor for years that in the air tonight. That's the song I was meaning. Yeah, there's the reference. People said, oh, we saw a guy drowning in a hotel or whatever. Ah, He was bitterly divorced. He was heartbroken. And he was stream of conscious lyrics about because his wife took up with another man. And now you listen to it now, it's in a whole new light. But for years, everybody would say, what the hell is that song about? It's very eerie. 
Yeah. But just yeah. listen to it. It's a guy, it's someone with a broken heart just jabbing out, you know, at the uh, at his ex-wife. So, so that's interesting. I got a I got a Phil Collins story. You're probably not gonna like it. He's the fucking piece of shit if you ask me. <laughs> they uh him and his ex-wife, she's a a Latin woman from uh Miami. Yeah. They have a uh a school. It's like a uh they have a um what do you call it? A uh not a fund, but a uh charity. Okay. And it's the money goes to the school, it's a performing arts school for you know, disadvantaged kids, right? And uh, they had this, uh, I don't know if they still do it, but every year they would have a, like this auction. It would be a big event. They'd have an auction and then they'd have kind of musicians coming in and playing. And Phil Collins was going to play. He was going to play. Advertised, you know, he's going to play. So um, I'm like, you know what? I wouldn't mind seeing Phil Collins do like three songs. I'll pay for that. I don't care. You know? And, um, so my wife and I go down to Miami, we go to the event, sitting in our seats. And the majority of the music that was being played were Latin stars, Latin, like South America and mm-hmm. Puerto Rico. And this isn't really my thing, but you know, it's, it's entertaining. You know, these, I don't know who any of them were. And so they kept saying, yeah, Phil's coming out. Phil's coming out later. And then they do an auction. If Phil's coming out, Phil's coming out. And his son, I guess his son plays the drums also. Yeah. So his son had his band there and they, they were okay. They were okay. Phil's coming out. Phil's coming out. All right, get ready. Get ready. And then there's like this delay. You go through this whole fucking show and the guy comes out and he goes, sorry, people, I have bad news. I have bad news. Uh, Phil won't be able to play tonight. He saw the doctor today and he's been suffering from blah, blah, blah. Fucketure of the brain. I don't know. And um, so we're sorry, but, you know, he's going to come out. The dude walks out with his fucking son, like a human shield. Like, are you going to boo him now? Right? Brings his little son out with him. Like a fucking human shield. Like, you can't, like, I was going to be like, you suck. Right? (laughs) And he looks like this, like he was fucking 85. Mm. He walked out like all fucking pathetic looking and. You know, oh, I'm sorry. I'll make it up to you. And da, 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 blah, 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 blah. These fuckers knew. They knew all night long he wasn't going to play. But they kept pushing it, kept pushing it for his foundation, him and his ex wife's foundation. Wow. So, fuck say- you, Phil Collins. If you're ever listening, <laughs> fuck you. He can take it. He's yeah. got a million uh, fucking medical problems. When you read that, oh, Jesus, yeah, he's, hey, he's he's falling apart. He and he looked horrible on the last tour and everything. So he fell yeah. off his chair and like seven people ran out to get him off. To get him. oh my god, he fell off his chair like he was drumming and he fell kind of backwards. I saw a video of it yeah. and I was yeah. like, "Good, you motherfucker! Good, fucking oh. fall again! You should fall <laughs> off the stage, Phil Collins." Fall off the stage. You should be in a fucking mosh pit in a Rage Against the Machine concert. That's where you need to be, Phil Collins. Hey, try to stay in Switzerland. Come on. Uh, I feel better now. 
I feel better. You feel better? You got it I out? feel better. Okay, I feel breathe better. Deep, breathe deep. The gathering gloom? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Um, so let's move on to uh, the late, great Stevie Ray Vaughan, mm. which I know you're a fan of. Yeah. Right? So he did uh, what he had. Uh, how many albums did he do? When he was alive, one, two, three, I believe four official studio albums. Yeah. Texas Flood in 83. Couldn't Stand the Weather, 84. Soul to Soul, 85. Mm-hmm. Then In Step, 89. Yeah. And then he had Family Style, uh, After the yeah. Death, and The Sky is Crying in 91. He's probably had some other. Sky is Crying was a posthumous album. That was after he yeah. died. Yeah. Yeah. So. It seemed to me, and it seems a lot of people might think this, that each album that he that he played, his first three, Texas Flood was phenomenal. And each one kind of got a little lesser, the first three, until it got to soul to soul. And you could, you could probably hear the difference. But um, the guy pumped out three albums in three years and toured. Yeah. So... <clears throat> He was, I, you know what? I couldn't stand the weather. Was my favorite. I love that album. Yeah, Voodoo Child. Is great that, fucking great. video. Great video. Yeah. Great video. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't stand the weather. Great video. Mm-hmm. I mean, just ravaged that with the rain and the goggles. It was just <laughs> that was a great fucking video. You've heard the story about the seven day funk with him, right? No, he never took showers. He liked that. Uh, he called it the seven day funk. So when he did that video, we were all like, he got a shower. Great. <laughs> <laughs> but then he didn't wear the, he wore those same clothes. So he's just <laughs> musty, even musty mildew. B.O. Um, but uh, I think he wrote, he wrote Texas flood when he was 29. So he had already been around. Yeah. It's kind of when he broke. Now, Bowie gave him his chance. Um, But Jackson Brown gave him studio time for free, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Which is like, that's huge. Yeah. Jackson Brown to give you studio time for free. Exactly. And, you know, he didn't have a good experience with David Bowie. Bowie was nice enough to want to take him on tour. But Bowie's band, you know, these are musicians who read music, and they were they were just killing him in the rehearsals, you know. And he just got homesick; he wanted to leave. I know how that feels. You, you're with these superior musicians; they're giving you an attitude. He just wanted to go back to Texas, get back with his band, and that's why he bailed, you know. And David Bowie, isn't that insane to think that he thought they were superior to him? <laughs> well, technically, right. you know, they were like a Broadway band. Like they, if you're going to be in Bowie's, they were band, more technically sound yeah. than him. Yeah. Yeah. He's more soul. He feels mm-hmm. it, which is yeah. what the blues is, right? Yeah. You play it with your soul. Um, what's your favorite song by him? Well, I'd say the song that always got me, the one I learned when I was playing guitar, I couldn't stand the weather. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. But also on The Sky is Crying, the last song is an acoustic song, Life by the Drop. Yeah, I listened to that. That's probably my second favorite no guitar solos, but yeah. what a great song. Yeah, yeah. Um I would say couldn't stand the weather. 
and uh, Cold Shot. I love Cold Shot. Mm, great video. Hilarious yeah. video. <laughs> Pulling is. the guitars out. With the, the, the fat wife. Yeah. She's like, wake up, wake up. You're plucking Don't the strumming on that guitar. You're plucking the strumming on me. Now, what was his biggest hit? I, for the one I heard on the radio the most in the New York area was Pride and Joy. That was like pushed really hard, but it may not be his biggest. Do you know? Crossfire. That? Yeah. Crossfire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing about Crossfire, and that was on off of In Step, mm-hmm. I think. Crossfire, he didn't write that. Oh. Yeah. Double Trouble wrote it. Oh. The bass player, the drummer. Tommy Shannon and Chris Whipper. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the keyboard player, I think. Right? Isn't there yeah. a keyboard player? Yeah. There? Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. They wrote that. I think a couple other guys contributed to it, but. And that, oddly enough, becomes his biggest hit. Hmm. And that's a badass fucking song, too. It is. It is. That's a badass song. That's got to be a close. That's got to be maybe the tie, like, two and two A. Yeah. As far as songs. When that album came out, because he had the whole story of he cleaned up, I just had it in my mind that it was not going to be good. Because a lot of artists, when they clean up, they kind of get boring. I didn't give it a chance. It took me a few years. And then after he died, I went back and listened to it. And I'm like, what was I thinking? It's a great album. That's actually, that's when he created his own sound. Mm-hmm. That yeah. really wasn't a blues album. That was a Stevie Ray Vaughan album. Mm. You know, that was his sound. Like he came out fresh. He had burned out from those three albums and touring yeah. and drug use and alcohol, and just like he wouldn't stop, you know. And he was also—I don't know if people know this—but that motherfucker was a fashionista. Yes. Like he took, he liked his clothes. Like he picked out his shit. He yeah. always had kind of a different style, but that wasn't like a stylist. Like here, Steven Tyler put this on it. No, this dude went out and got his own shit. It's yeah. Like I like this. I like this. The hats, the whole I thing. Used to, when he used to wear the silk stuff, I used to think of Tommy Bolin from the 70s, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. 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 Huh. Um, but yeah, he definitely liked his clothes. Again, a lot of people wouldn't think of that. Mm-hmm. Now, did he shower when he wore these clothes? I don't know. Gotta but hand I never put him on TV. Well, you got to hand it to the band. They played up there. But if you look at pictures of him, his hair was very greasy. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> and he always had the hat on. So, <laughs> yeah. So I saw him on November 24th, 1986 at the Orpheum Theater in Boston. You've heard Jack and I probably mentioned that place. Mm-hmm. Great little place to see a a show. And evidently it hasn't changed since then either. The seats are still the same. It's just one of those places, right? So I pulled up the set list today. So he starts off with Scuttlebutt. Comes out on stage. And I've told this story, I think, before. With this fucking huge Indian headdress. Had to have like a 10-foot trail behind it, right? And he's just jamming away. He's jamming away. Then he goes into Say What, and then he plays Joy, 
And he had, then he played Mary Had a Little Lamb. And I believe that was after that song. He just stopped. He said, listen, and you could hear his, it was the second night of two nights in Boston. And he said, uh, I'm not used to this cold weather and I kind of lost my voice last night. So I apologize. And everyone's like, hey, uh, he said, but I'm going to make it up to you with my guitar. All right. How's that sound? And the place went fucking nuts. And I'll tell you what, this dude fucking put on a show. Like he did literally make up. He played the songs and in your head, you know, that, you know, the lyrics, at least most of them. Yeah. But the yeah. shit he was fucking doing with that guitar just was amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, he was playing it behind his head, playing it with his teeth, playing this, swinging it back and forth in front of him, behind him, in front of him, behind him, just doing everything he could to just put on a show. And uh, so he went on with uh, Ain't Gone and Give Up on Love, Ain't Gonna Give Up on Love, Superstition, I'm Leaving You, Voodoo Child, Slight Return, Willie the Wimp, Cold Shot, uh, Couldn't Stand the Weather, uh, Life Without You, Love Struck Baby, Look at Little Sister, and Testify. So he played all those songs just with his guitar, no, no singing. It was all... And I'll tell you what, that was a fucking unique show to see. Yeah. That was yeah. a unique show to see because he stepped up his game. Because mm -hmm. I know he felt bad. I know he feels like, fuck. Yeah. Like, you can't let the crowd down. He wasn't egotistical like that. Yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you what, that was a fucking hell of a show. That was one memorable night. I went with my brother Colin, I think his girlfriend at the time, Renee, it was me and I don't know somebody else. I was getting ready to go in the Air Force, actually. And uh, I just couldn't help it. Someone passed a joint down the line, and I was like, right now, fuck the Air Force. I'm watching this fucking show. And I was not a weed smoker either. But I did that night. <laughs> not a lot, but I, enough. Was that enough? Was that the Soul to Soul tour? I think it was. I believe it was. I believe okay. it was, yeah. I saw him the same year. Ah. I was in high school and had, yeah, it was 86. And so that was when he first got the keyboardist. So we were all joking. Oh, he's got a keyboardist, whatever. We saw him at Montclair State University in Montclair, New Jersey. It wasn't in their performing arts center. They put him in a gym probably because they could fit more people. But when we went, he was really late getting on. Like we were standing there for an hour. So finally the lights went down and of course you got that where the lights are down and you see, you know, oh, the band's going to come on. It yeah. still took like over five minutes, almost 10 minutes. And then you see him coming up on stage and then the guy that the dope with the spotlight put it on him too quick. He was stumbling. He was like walking uh. like, and, and I remember saying, oh, we've all been to one of those shows with a guy. It's just terrible. I was thinking yeah. of the worst kinks show I ever saw, you know, it's like, oh, cause we all know he drank. Yeah, He comes up to the microphone, he's like, I, I got some technical problems, and he was clowning it up, and we knew he was drunk, but the minute he started playing, he wasn't drunk, he wasn't staggering, he put on a hell of a show, yeah. and that's a special musician that can do that, <laughs> that much drugs, that much drinking, but still play, because there's a lot of musicians, most can't, like Eric Clapton, he can't drink and play, you know, right. but he put on a hell of a show, I just, it was just great, and we were close. And uh, I saw him probably from four people back and nobody was wow. pushing. It was a real cool audience. And I, I'm just felt incredibly lucky that I saw him. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah. But a little tidbit that's funny was, and it kind of relates to you, where after the show, we're walking out of the gymnasium and then we're on the college campus. You lost your shoe? <laughs> yeah, Stevie took it. Let's bring it um, full circle. <laughs> we see a guy at the payphone and my friend's like, that's Tommy Shannon, the bass player. I'm like, oh, yeah. So uh-huh. Let's all go ask him for a autograph. So we kind of walk up to him. And I felt bad, like he's on the phone, his back's to us, and he was talking to his wife. He's like, "Oh, honey, yeah, I miss you. Um, I think I'm in, I think I'm in Vermont or Massachusetts. I'm not uh, somewhere." Wow. And then he hangs up and he turns around. and He was really nice to us, you know. He's yeah. Like, you know, talking. Yeah. Signed our tickets up. And he says, "Do you, am I in Massachusetts or Vermont?" He said something like this. No, you're in New Jersey. He says, "Oh, that's a real touring musician." He didn't know where he was. Yeah. Got on the bus, go to the next concert. You know. Don't have to pay attention. Just tell me what I where I need to go. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, these guys. It's not like these guys go out and tour the city, yeah. like in during the day. They're mm-hmm. there for literally a day. Yeah. You know, so they, they, why even care, you know, but, uh, but it is good to know where you are. I think though. (laughs) Well, if you're the lead vocalist, yeah, you got to know, because I saw, (laughs) I saw some band at Meadowlands arena and that's New Jersey kept saying, we love you. You knew New York. And everybody's like, Oh, I can't remember who it was. It might've been the Scorpions. It might've been Klaus Mina. Yeah, we love your ah, the German. I give him a I give him a give him a pass on that. The German, that's Germans. Um, live alive though was kind of a mess. Mm. The live album, underwhelming. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it wasn't really. I think that was a throw. Like, just get one out, get an album out there. Well, that was recorded. That's when he was really starting to break down from the drinking and the drugs. So yeah. the performances are less than stellar. Yeah. Um. So he did in step at in 89 after rehab. So he was fresh. Um, actually, the song Tightrope is about his 12 step program. Hmm. So he got material out of it. Yeah. <laughs> he got material <laughs> out of it. Um, the song Riviera Paradise, it's the last song on the album. Great it's like song. nine minutes. It's like a nine minute song, like eight mm-hmm. minutes and like 49. So nine minutes. Yeah. Um, Almost got cut during recording, a la yeah. the Beatles on, uh, was it Abbey Road? The second yeah. half of the album. And then it just ends. It just ends because the tape ran out. Yeah. Right. Um, what was, I always rem- can't remember the name of that song, the particular song. Down, 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 down. The Beatles. See, it's killing me. I get brain, I get brain farts at the worst time. It happens. We don't know I, what I readily song. admit that on this show. I'm like, I'm not because, gonna sit here because because that's the name of the song. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I'm not gonna sit here and try to prove myself right. Because I'm I'm gonna get this and like people listening in their cars going, all right, dude, the red lights. Oh, I'm just <laughs> fucking go. Just go on with the show, okay. But um, it was running and running and running, and the the producer trying to get their attention and so this is kind of a origin type thing to a song because it's just a nice mellow jam you know kind of like planet caravan on paranoid yeah right just a real mellow groove man which i always thought was a masterful move on that album yeah to just drop planet caravan in that fucking that insane it's like a moment of clarity and amongst insanity on that album but um so he finally gets 
he's trying to get the drummer's attention and he gets uh, like the bass player, then the bass player gets Stevie Ray and they give him the cut. So he gives the drummer the cut, you know, and then he just runs it right. Perfect timing. Just that last, that last yeah. strum. Now, supposedly he says, ah, in there, but I've never heard that. No. Maybe one of those buried in there sounds. But, but I did hear that literally the end of the tape was literally coming off the reel yeah. when he finished. Like, does that perfect? Close? Like, per, just that last strum, and it yeah. just drew out. He just dragged it out, and that was it right yep. off the tape. Yeah. So, um, did you see his unplugged, the three songs that he did? Mm hmm. I mean, talk about an underrated. Okay, granted, it was only three songs. But if he did a whole fucking unplugged, he did the whole thing with the twelve string. He did all three songs with this with the twelve string, just like Life by the Drop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if he had done a whole unplugged, that would have been the fucking greatest. I, I'd say the reason he played the twelve string was I'm sure you've heard about the guitar strings on his Strat. They were the heaviest strings you could get. They were like barbed wire. What he played with those heavy strings, if he played just an acoustic, he probably would have broken the strings, you know? Yeah, so yeah. Maybe that's, you know, and 12 strings are not easy to play, especially if you're going to do solos. So. And he played very bluesy songs. I don't know if he played, if all three of them were. Well, when did he do that? Did He, he, he already had some hits because they put him on there, so he had to be. But I know he did some obscure, a couple of obscure songs. Yeah, he did. Uh, and that was the original Unplugged with Jules Shear, I think, hosted. Remember that? And he would have the performers come on, play a few songs, kind of like a version of the Jules Holland show. Then it went into they fired him and they just gave each artist their own concert. So I think I, I, I don't know if you ever heard the story, but I, I, I told this story again if I'm repeating my well, I am repeating myself, but I'm not sure if people are uh, if people care. The first Unplugged show, the first performance on Unplugged was Squeeze, Tiffin and Dilford, right? Okay. And they, sh they show up to the studio with their regular guitars. And the producer's like, what are you doing? They go, we're going to play. He says, no, this is Unplugged. And they're like, what the hell is Unplugged? It's like it's acoustic. And they were like, I didn't bring my, I think Difford uh, plays the guitar, right? Yeah. Um, he's like, well, <laughs> I didn't bring my guitar, didn't I get this? The producer runs to his office, has this half-assed fucking acoustic guitar, brings it out to him. It says, play this. And they, it was just like kind of, because it was chaotic. They didn't, no one knew what really was going on or how this was going to, because they yeah. assumed somebody had told them. So if you ever go back and watch that, it's. I'm uh, gonna look that up. That sounds yeah, funny. Yeah. It was. I guess it was. It came out great because I remember seeing it. That was actually. Now everyone's like, "No, Bon Jovi was the first unplugged," and blah 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 blah. Which it wasn't because I mentioned it last week. The Secret Policeman's other ball, I think, was probably yeah. one of the best. Yeah. Although there was a little electric in there, and I still say Nirvana wasn't an unplugged because they had electric guitars. Yeah. So it wasn't truly an unplugged. Which is why I say the Alice in Chains unplugged is still the greatest unplugged ever. Yep. yep. Um, so, yeah, uh, uh, Gifford and uh, uh, Diffin and Tilson, whatever the fuck Tilbrook. the name is, Tilbrook. Uh, that they they pulled it off. 
you know, and they did it, and it was. I think they did. And it's uh, not easy. Like, so they think they're going to play their. He thinks he's going to play his electric guitar. It's a whole another animal. And I, thank God he could do it because some some guitarists cannot play an acoustic. Like they just, it's not their thing, you know. And so, he's got to tune it up too. Yeah, and if it's not ass. like a fucking two thousand dollar acoustic guitar, yeah, like he's playing with like you know fucking Radio Shack guitar, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the nimbler <laughs> but yeah he uh stevie ray back to him he played those the, the, that was uh uh i used to love that show i watched that show constantly yeah constantly watch that show and and back in the 80s mtv was really kind to stevie ray there was a lot of good concerts there was one where he was on a riverboat in the mississippi during uh mardi gras that was a great concert i just remember he had all the the necklaces around him MTV was really good back then. First time I saw him on TV was um, live from, oh, what the fuck is the name of that city? Austin. Austin City Limits. Yeah. That's the first time I saw him perform live, and I was just fucking mesmerized. I was like, this dude is the fucking shit. And that first show, he was scared shitless doing it. He was a nervous wreck. Doesn't show it, but uh, he said his solos weren't as he was being a little conservative because he was scared. The second yeah. time was with us uh, after he got clean. He had a lot of confidence. Didn't he have stage fright, though? Didn't he have a little bit of stage yeah. fright? Yeah. Wasn't that one of the other reasons? Or is that why they told him he left the Bowie tour? Because was that the they excuse or... I think, and I had a great biography on Stevie Ray. If, I think it's called Crossfire. That's It was excellent. It, it started how his brother would beat him up for taking his guitar. The poor kid. He, uh, what's what's his brother's name? Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy. Jimmy. Jimmy wasn't a nice big brother. Later on, things were better. <laughs> he beat the <laughs> shit out of him. Um, maybe that's why his nose was flying. Hey, my brother so, uh, My brother Colin knocked me out a couple times when I was here. So, you know, I know the feeling, Stevie. I know the feeling. Oh, my sisters knocked me out. That's sad. Anyway, um, I think one of them's watching too. Um, uh, but uh, no, there was, there was, yeah, they were making fun of the way he looked. They were making fun of his, yeah, yeah he can't read music. They would like, evidently, there'd be rehearsal and they, and Carlos Alomar, who I really like as a guitarist, but he would put like a score in front of him and say, play that, you know, and it just made him feel like shit. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I I can't read music. If someone did that to me, I'd be like, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> you know? And lo and behold, he goes on to far, far uh, outperform his brother. Yeah. In every yeah. way, shape, and form possible. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy Vaughn just kind of ate his dust. Jimmy's now, he, more, he's a traditional blues yeah. player. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you ever see the Fabulous Thunderbirds? Never saw them live, but I've seen concerts on TV of them. Yeah, I got a chance to see them live at the Boston Garden. Um, great show. I was actually working uh, canine security at the Boston Garden. We, we had the patrol dogs outside. That's how crazy that place was. Wow. The old Boston Gardens, yeah. Stopping people from breaking in. Uh, you know, People getting evicted. They walk out. They think they're going to get froggy, and there's the fucking a German Shepherd just spitting. Spitting. <laughs> mad. Wanting to tear them up. That usually calmed these people down. So I took a break. I was. I told my boss, I'm like, hey, I'm going to go in. And I they, they were backing up Bob Siegel, who 
at the time I had no desire to even see. I, for some reason, I just fell way off the Bob Seger bandwagon. The 80s yeah, 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 and he started selling out, and you know, and hey, listen, he made his money, but so be it. But uh, the Fabulous Thunderbirds were backing him up, so I said, "Yeah, I'll be back." And I went in there and just I could go wherever I wanted, so I kind of sat up on the side of the stage. I was I couldn't go on this like behind the stage, but um, yeah, and I just sat there and I watched them do nice. like five or six songs, and uh, they were they were fucking good. Yeah, they were uh, good. They could put the on a show. That guy, the singer, good harmonica player. Yeah, and a great yeah. voice. Yeah. Yeah, and he had that style too. He always had that hat on, and the, 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 the you know, mm-hmm. and they yeah. they tore it up for a little bit. They had they had a little uh, flame, you know. But Jimmy Vaughn was always Stevie Ray's brother. Yeah, yeah. Even would to he, this day, would the Fabulous Thunderbirds have been as big as they were if it wasn't for? Because they got big after Stevie Ray Vaughn got big. So are you saying, are you think that Jimmy Vaughn's name being Stevie Ray's brother carried the band a little more? Maybe. And it's not that the fabulous Thunderbirds weren't a, a great band, but they were just one of many blues bands. So if yeah. Stevie Ray Vaughn never got to his level, would they have made it like I, there, there was that one hit they had that was, I can't Tough remember. enough. Yeah. Well, they had a couple of hits actually, but mm-hmm. you know, they always had them hot girls in the, video and back then those those daisy that that was yeah. pretty that was pretty racy for, for videos yeah, was, back then it was like zz top they were yeah, following yeah, that yeah. trend yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but uh yeah so i mean probably jimmy vaughn everyone's like oh that's stevie ray's brother so maybe that gave them a little bit of yeah, but he played a great guitar like in that song tough enough he does he does throw down he's a great like i said i i didn't like him at first and he's great because uh, he's just like I said, it's a very traditional way of playing the blues, and he's he doesn't go wild like you know he's not going to run up and down the neck. He's doing very controlled solos. There's nothing wrong with that. He's very good at what he does. And then they on, on Soul to Soul they added the keyboards, hmm. which fans were kind of like, eh, is that really blues? Like you know they think a lot of flan- a lot of fans were kind of split on that. I, I particularly didn't care. You know, I, I wasn't it. that hardcore blues guy, but I think it added another dimension. When you're a trio, you know, I think it it can only go so far. Adding the and he was playing in the Hammond, which is nothing better than a Hammond organ in, in the blues. So I think he added another polnar dimension. They still played a mean little wing with him on keyboard, so yeah. Didn't bring the band down at all. Right. Now, George Thorogood, the Destroyers, and, the, the, and I'm just kind of going off a little because you talked about like the backup band. The Destroyers, they always had to sign the 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 original three man quartet. Wasn't there something like they they referred yeah. to themselves as yeah. they were the three man quartet or something like that? <laughs> something, I thought that yeah. was pretty cool. <laughs> I just thought that was pretty cool. Did you ever see him? No, no. I had it's one of the few times I got sick and couldn't go to a concert. One of his last arena tours friend of mine got tickets said, come on go ahead. i got really sick but um I, when he first came out i liked him because he had a connection with the old time blues guys i love slide guitar i'm just not crazy about the way he does slide it's not like a Dwayne allman it's more it's very uh it's almost like i want to say he has an open tuning and i'm not going to say he's not a good player but it's a little repetitious to me. I don't get much from him. I've always said there's always been a joke 
a lot of his songs are great when you're at the bar and you're drinking. But ah. the next morning, wake up and play George Thorogood. Is it going to be the same? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I Bad to the Bone was overplayed. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, that's another thing. Yeah, that yeah. that got overplayed. Yeah. Um, I had a chance to see him. So it's funny. Uh, as you know, I saw Tears for Fears uh, in June. And uh, Roland Orzabal was saying that, oh, look at, you know, look at where we are now. And to think that uh, – like years ago, we were playing, uh, what did he say? We were playing uh, like clubhouses and casinos, <laughs> right? He's like, clubhouses, something in casinos, right? And uh, it reminded me, there's a casino down the street from me, one of the Seminole Indian casinos. And I don't know, it was probably a couple of years ago, George Thorogood was playing the casino. Ah. Yeah, I didn't go see him. It's though. good money. It's good money. Hey, you saw you saw Tears for Fears this past June. Oh yeah. How were they? Fucking unbelievable, dude. This now, new every, album is great. It's great, it's, and they yeah. played a lot of the songs. They played most of the songs off of that. Like the first, they they did a good job at peppering in their old stuff at the beginning, so they could get their new stuff in, and people wouldn't be like, if you didn't listen to the album, and and they know they know why people are really going there. So you have a small percentage of people that listen to the album and like, hey, this is a great song. This is a great song. And they were excited. But then you got probably the majority of the people want to see the greatest hits, right? That's what people want now from bands like that. So they did a really good job at peppering in like a couple songs. They start off with like three songs from their new album. Then they throw in Head Over Heels. Yeah. And they get the crowd up again. And then they play a little more. Then they drop in another one. But then like the second half, once they get it all done, was basically a lot of their a lot of their hits, okay. uh, and Roland Orzabal, that guy's voice is still fucking pitch perfect. Mm. The guy hits like at least two octave, at least maybe wow. three. Mm. He can still hit really high notes. Um, still that deep sound. He has not lost a fucking piece of his voice. Whereas wow. Kurt Smith softer voice and and you know i'm repeating myself to the listeners but um soft voice just on the cusp of those high notes where maybe in a couple years he won't be able to hit them Mm, but he pulled it off no one was like ooh, like it wasn't cringe the guy he did what he was supposed to do he noticed it slightly but it wasn't really off the charts like Oh, this guy's like, he needs to stop this. So overall though, the concert and plus we were like, I don't know, 13 rows from the stage. So it was really good seats. Yeah. Yeah, Like kind of in the middle. And, uh, there was just a, it was just a great show. And I, and you know, everybody says that after they see a concert, Oh, that was the fucking greatest show. Greatest show. Right. Everybody does that because they're so hyped from it. So, and I've seen a lot of concerts. You know, not Jack level like fucking U2 26 times, which, by the way, I would never fucking do that. <laughs> I would never see a fucking man 26 times. But, hey, listen, that's that Jack's thing. That was huh? me with Zebra. I've seen Zebra probably 40 times. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, but you know, you say something. You say how every show is great when you're there. But it's yeah. funny when you see a concert and you're at the show and you go, this sucks. You know it's a bad show. I, oh, we've opened yeah. a couple of those. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but I can honestly say that was a bucket list. Actually, I got two off my bucket list because I saw garbage back them up. Oh, so great. I got to see garbage and, and they were, they killed it. You know, she's a great performer. She doesn't really have the, you know, her look was everything. And she's still, mm-hmm. you know, kind of had a, has an odd beauty. Mm-hmm. You know, she's Scottish girl. She's not a, a true beauty, but she has her own kind of look. Yeah. And yeah. Um, she's older now. She's probably in her fifties. Right. So you can't really expect to see that stupid girl video with the little slim mini dress on and the boots, but she's still got swagger. Nice. Shirley Manson still has swagger. She's a fucking rock star. Yeah. yeah no doubt about it. She's mm-hmm. one of them women that is, she is a fucking rock star. Mm. And, uh, Butch Vig, you know, they were all theirs, all the original bands. So nice. But yeah, it was a great show. Tears for Fears, as I say, did not disappoint one bit, one bit. So it was well worth it. Good. But uh, yeah, that goes back to uh, George Thorogood playing casinos. <laughs> But like you said, it's, it's good money. All right, all right. I, I was trying to avoid this. I knew this was coming. Dave Phillips, who I call the king of the 45s, he messaged in, Matchbox is great live. Fuck Matchbox 20. Fuck Rob Timmis, whatever his name is, Tumis. Thomas. Thomas. See? Sorry, Dave. You're a great guy. You're a, you're a loyal watcher. But fuck Matchbox 20. <laughs> You can give me two tickets to the front row, backstage passes, fucking meet the band. You can have dinner with the band, and fuck, they'll let you play the drums one song. I'm giving those fucking tickets away. I'm giving them away. Here you go. Have at it, buddy. Have at it. I'll send them to you, Mark. I'll send them to you. I just don't like Matchbox 20. I have nothing I've ever liked about them. Talk about overplayed. Uh, anyway, see, I had a good old nineties overplayed music. Yeah. Look at, plenty we, of those we, bands. We started the show off rough. We hit a good fucking groove Mark. Right. And then Dave Phillips <laughs> fucks it up by throwing in matchbox 20. Now but I'm off huge, my fucking game again. Look, there's a huge part of the audience that likes to see you angry. So that he yeah, did the right thing. <laughs> evidently. <you know>? Evidently. <laughs> and maybe that's why he does it. He's he's laughing right now. I know he is. I know he is. And he did that. He knows. He knows. He fucking knows Dave Phillips, king of the 45s. So, you know what? See, he laughs at me. Ha, 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 ha. And, oh, Lou. Thanks, Lou. Lou Calicchio. Yeah. Rob is so smooth. Yeah, yeah. See the next time I have you on my show, Lou. We'll see, buddy. When you come on, I dare you to say that to me. I dare you. You just stared him. He'll take you I up just, on it. He'll do it. I know he will. I know he will. He'll find a way to. He'll be talking about fucking Emma's like a palmer and somehow throw Rob's Thomas in the mix. I, uh, uh, it's all right. I set myself up for these things. I, I show my emotions. So since since Dave Phillips fucking threw me off my groove, it's time for the for the, for the top tens of this week in 1982. Yeah, that transition. There you go. Lou Lou just likes those O's. This is getting really weird here. Oh, oh, Suey Smooth. Yeah. I got to take a shower after this show. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The top 10 this week in July 1982. Number 10. Keep the burning. Ario Speedwagon. I like that song. Mm -hmm. Ario Speedwagon was good for their time. Yeah. They were good for their time. I actually saw them on. 
Yeah, I saw them do uh, a show on one of these, like, does it, I forget the name of the channel, like Audience. It's called Audience or something. And they were in studio, um, and they did a, they did set a set in the studio, and they were, they were actually pretty good still. Yeah. I forget the lead singer's name. Um, yeah, uh, get regret? No. Nah. Oh, God. Oh, people are laughing at us. No, they're laughing at you. Yeah, well, I'm used to that. <laughs> I know Lou's yelling it out right now. Anyways, yeah. the guy's got a great voice still. Another one yeah. still has a great voice. So that was number 10. Number nine, uh, I love this group. The Motels, mm. Only the Lonely. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. But my favorite Motels, to the Motels, you listen to them a lot? No, I haven't listened to like every track of theirs, but everything I hear I like. And only the, that song is. So no, my favorite song is off their first album. It's called uh, All Dressed Up or Dressed Up. Write it down, buddy. That is that fucking song is it's it's other than uh, uh, Mission of Mercy probably has some of the hot guitar in it. Yeah. So, yeah, off their first album, The Motels. But Martha Davis. Martha Davis. Mm-hmm. They played down here at this little club that uh, that Tom had mentioned, um, and I I couldn't. It was like again, it's on a weird night, and I was like, "Fuck, I can't go." But I wanted to see them. But so numbers eight this week in nineteen. This is a pretty good fucking set. This is a pretty good top ten. Number eight this week in nineteen eighty two. Tainted love, soft sell. I love me some synth. I love Ooh. me some synth. I Kevin love the Cronin. Look at, yeah, look Kevin, at Lou. Look at Lou. I was saying the guitar player, Gary Rick Grath or whatever. Look at Lou. Lou yeah. saves the day. <laughs> He's got his Godzilla helmet on now, so, you know. <laughs> He's wearing the Godzilla mask. <laughs> In front the, of his dog concert. You saw I texted him. You can get a Godzilla mask on Amazon. I, <laughs> fucking classic. He'll show up on the show one night. I'll have you guys on again. He'll have the fucking Godzilla mask on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you got Tainted Love was number eight. Number seven this week in 1982. The Human League. Don't you (laughs) bite me. Uh, Don't you want me by the Human League? Ah. Well, you know, Jack was working as a waitress in a cocktail bar (laughs) when I first met him. So I don't know if people know that. But he was, was he working just, as a waitress in a cocktail bar when I first met him. He's just yeah. an American gigolo. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I picked him up. I dusted him off and I made him whatever the rest of the lyrics are. But that's Jack. That's me singing to Jack. Opening, <laughs> opening lines. Number six. The worst. One of the worst fucking videos ever. And one of the. It's the worst. Steve Miller song. Abra. What is it? bro? Yeah. Yep. The fucking stupidest <laughs> fucking video in the world. With he tried the fucking too hard. magician. The magician. <laughs> fucking who does a music video with the magician throwing <laughs> the fucking rags up in the air and the fucking like are you kidding me? Like Steve, what the hell are you letting the like worst video ever? Yeah. One of them, one of them. Uh number five. For all you dance club people, the Daz Band with Let It Whip. <laughs> Love that song. The Daz Band. <laughs> I yeah. remember that. Yeah. 
Uh, number four this week in 1982, Fleetwood Mac, a Christine McVie song, Hold Me. Oh. I, I always lean in her direction. If you ask me who I like better, Stevie Nicks or Christine McVie, I love every song Christine McVie sings. Agreed. Yeah. Fucking pure voice. Mm-hmm. Just a great, great. And, and she was probably like George Harrison fighting to get songs on those albums. But a very steady writer. She just, when she very. wrote a song, yeah, yeah. And quiet, you mm-hmm. know, quiet, just great voice. So that was number four. Number three, John Cougar. Hurt so good. Oh. Yeah. yeah. But I still, my favorite song by him is, uh, what is it? Uh, can't even, uh, can't even run with to start with the night. What's the name of that song? Well, I oh. ain't got no good come outs, and I ain't got no good lines. I went through a serious John binge uh, a couple months ago. I can't I believe can't I can't remember, remember the name of that. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe I can't. But I love that song. I love that song. That's my ain't even done with the night. That's the name of it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Ain't even done with the night. And um, yeah, it's just a great. It's a he does the whole Elvis thing. You know, the guy puts the cape over him and he runs back it was kind of cheesy video but it was good you want to get a sore throat listen to his latest album his cigarettes have destroyed his uh, he's like that's too bad. but he's he said in an interview he was on a show and he said i like to smoke i'm not gonna stop smoking so like Joni mitchell you know same thing yeah yeah he had a heart attack and i guess he tried to stop and he's like fuck this I'm not <laughs> yeah. gonna do that uh so that was number three hurt so good number two Toto, Rosanna, we've yeah. come full circle. Come from the beginning of the show to the end of the show. And number one this week in 1982, ah, oh, good Lord. Another very odd video of men walking down the street and going upstairs and getting sweaty for no reason during the video. <laughs> Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. <laughs> Watch the video, man. It's a little strange. How did the do I do with all these sweaty guys? Everybody's sweaty. Like, <laughs> don't get it. They're walking in the street first in the flying V formation. Yeah. <laughs> next thing you know, next thing you know, they're all upstairs sweaty. <laughs> I don't trust a video like that. There was a big edit in that video. <laughs> Evidently. Didn't get past the senses were like, oh hell no. That 30 <laughs> seconds we gotta take out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's not gonna survive. No, no. But uh, so that's it. That's the top 10 singles for this week in July 1982. Now it's on to this day in music. Yay. Yay. (laughs) Enough of that. Okay. On this day in 1958, this is interesting. Fans of rock and roll music were warned that tuning into music on the car radio could cost you more money. Now, why would that be, Mark? I can't. I don't know. Just when you when you when you listen to music in your car and say yeah. like "Radar Love" comes on, right? You press the gas pedal. And there you go. You go. There um, you go. I did that for researches. Yeah. yeah, everybody does. Researchers from the Esso Gas Company said the rhythm of rock and roll could cause the driver to be foot heavy on the pedal, making them waste fuel. Makes sense. 
Yeah. It did a fucking research on that. And then the SO Gas Company proceeded to buy every radio station in the country <laughs> and play rock and roll. <laughs> They're mad. I'm sure. The only reason Judas Priest got big. They put on every... <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> of cassettes. Yeah. Yeah. Louis, Louis says, uh, Highway Star. Great yeah. song. Oh, great yeah. fucking song. Uh, on this day in 1974, Wings started a seven-week run at number one on the UK album chart with Band on the Run. Although sales were, modestly, were modest initially, its commercial performance was aided by two hit singles. Those were... Band on the Run. And? Oh. And? <laughs> Let him in? No. I'm trying to remember what that else was, was off on that. Ram, wasn't it? Wasn't that off Ram? Let him in? Someone's, yeah. It was Jet. Oh, God. That was it. Yeah. Jet. Yeah. Um, sorry, since it's, it's the wine tonight, <laughs> it's a fucking wine. Yeah, for you listeners, this day Mark's been shoving those glasses down his throat. He's same like, glass. He, same glass, same glass, same glass. Yeah, same glass. He, but he filled it up five times. No, 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 no. <laughs> not for you. Right. No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> is, is that the other the other show makes you drink? Music relish makes you drink a lot. Out of fun. <laughs> All right, let me get back to this. And such that it became a top-selling studio album of 1974 uh, in the UK and Australia, that is. In addition to revitalizing McCartney's critical standing, it remains McCartney's most successful album and the most celebrated of his post-Beatles works, which is duly deserved. Yeah, yeah. On this day in 1985... Paul Young went to number one on the U.S. singles chart with his version of Daryl Hall's song. Every time you go away. That's it. That's I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to sing it. I'll <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure uh, Daryl Hall didn't mind that either. Yeah, that's <laughs> He's right. He's getting paid. Yeah. Great song. Great version. On this, it was a sad day on this day in 2001. Leon Wilkinson, bass player with... Leonard Skinner was found dead in a hotel room in Florida at the age of 49. Oof, yeah. Yeah. Skinner scored the 1974 U.S. Uh, number eight single, Sweet Home Alabama. And Freebird was number 21 in the U.K. And he was also a member of the Rosington Collins Band. Mm. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> Leonard Skinner is dead. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> For people that might not have known. <laughs> They were the leftovers. Let me let me cue it. <laughs> wah, wah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Leonard Rosin Collins was the leftovers. <laughs> Anyways, leftover chairs. Yeah, uh, yeah. But they were good. They actually, I actually enjoyed yeah. them for their little run. Um. All right. On this day in 2012, the Beatles returned to the top 40 in 20 of the Billboard Albums chart with the iTunes exclusive compilation. Tomorrow Never Knows. The set included 14 classic songs by the band and marked the first time the Beatles released an album exclusively to iTunes that had never been previously issued. Hmm. If I remember correctly, didn't Michael Jackson own the catalog? At that time? All yeah. the Beatles songs. And so that was a um, big money grab. 
started to see Beatles songs in commercials, if I remember right, too, when he bought yeah. the rights. That was yeah. sacrilege. <laughs> well, that was that was Paul McCartney's fault. Yeah. Paul McCartney, when they were doing that video, like, say, 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 mm-hmm. with Michael Jackson, he was explaining to him, he goes, yeah, the money is in the catalogs. And he just had this whole conversation with him. And, oh, Michael Jackson, oh, wow. And then the Beatles catalog comes up for sale. Paul McCartney bids on it, and Michael Jackson outbids him. I just thought it was his fault. You were going to say his fault because at the bidding, he went to lift his arm to bid, and somebody tickled him, and he pulled his arm down. And it was Michael, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think he got the rights back, though, right? I probably did. Yeah, yeah I'm sure he did. I mean, the guy has enough money. At one point, he was making like fucking like forty thousand dollars a day, something like that, from royalties. Fucking crazy. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Birthdays. Born on this day in 1970, uh, 1944, Bobby Gentry, U.S. singer-songwriter, notable as one of the first female country artists to compose and produce her own material, which was really tough back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gentry rose to international fame with her intriguing Southern Gothic narrative, Ode to Billy Joe, in 1967. The track spent four weeks at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 shot and sold over three million copies all over the world. And what was it threw off the the bridge? Tallahatchie Bridge. Fill it in for me. No one knows. Oh. Yeah. No one knows. They can only speculate. Yes, Jimmy Hoffa, yeah. Uh, Born on this day in 1964, bassist Rex Brown. From the American heavy metal band. I don't Pantera. know. Oh. Yeah. So there's a thing going on right now for you Pantera fans. Um, Phil Anselmo, the lead singer, who in the end did not get along with the uh, the Abbott brothers, Vinnie Paul and Dimebag Darrell. Um, him and Rex Brown want to go out on tour as Pantera. Now, is it Pantera without Dimebag Daryl and Vinnie Paul? I don't think so. To a Dimebag Daryl fan? No way. Or to just a, Pant- a purist. Like, yeah. like, I won't go see Staley Dan with Tom because it's only half. Yeah. It's only half the band. Half he, Dan. he was like, hey, Tilly. I go, nope. Sorry, Tom. He goes, ah. Half Dan. Half <laughs> Dan. Yeah. But who's so, playing guitar in place of Dimebag? It's um the guy that played with Ozzy Osbourne. Zach Wilde? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to get a replacement, that's a good replacement, I imagine. But Black Label like, Society. Yeah, yeah, I mean, fucking Zach Wilde is no joke, man. No, he's <laughs> no joke. Now, I would, I might go see them if if he's playing. If, if Zach, they don't know who it's going to be, though. They don't know who's going to. Now, I might go see them just to see. You know, Zach Wilde play with, you know, Pantera. I don't know if they if they come close enough. You got a mosh? Uh, no. No. Because <laughs> I'll end up fucking running some people over. Just <laughs> so find the guy in the wheelchair. Just find the That's what I'll be looking for. It's a safe space. The guy in the wheelchair is a People will not hurt a guy in a wheelchair. And I need to be in a safe space at those mosh parties. <laughs> And finally, born on this day in 1967, Juliana Hatfield, American musician and singer-songwriter from the Boston area, formerly of the indie rock bands Blake Babies, Some Girls, and The Lemonheads. Mm. Known for a few small hits, 
Uh, they did a cover of Suzanne Vega's Luca, uh, and they had a great track. It's a shame about Ray. That's a good song. Do you ever hear that song? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they did the cover. That was probably the most popular song was the cover of Mrs. Robinson in 1992. Mm-hmm. When me and Tom worked at CPI and we did cassettes and CDs, we were producing uh, Lemonhead CDs. They were on a label called Tang Records. Really? So we, yeah, we, we heard them in their formative years, really formative years. <laughs> Buddy, you would see this was meant to be you coming on the show tonight. It was meant to be. Look at that. <laughs> right. Everything went to shit, it. but it worked out. <laughs> Hey, you finished off big though, buddy. Into the lemon heads. You finished off big. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the show, everybody. I want to thank you for listening. Mark, my friend, thank you very much for coming through in the clutch. No problem. Thanks for having me on. I literally called you like at you were at 4 30. You were getting off at 5. And we were work? coming on at 7 30. So <laughs> yeah, that was not a lot of time. <laughs> but uh, once again, your, your your wealth of knowledge is appreciated on this show. Um, I can't say that for Lou. <laughs> Taunting me. <laughs> Taunt. He's good at that. He's good at that. Yeah, he's Gotta getting watch comfortable. The Jersey guys. I like that. The he's getting, guys. Lou's getting comfortable, and that's what I like. Just realize, just throw it all at me, buddy. I don't care. <laughs> just want to push my buttons. You'll get a reaction. You will get a reaction. <laughs> Lou gives you a bravo, my friend. Lou <laughs> thank gives you, you a Lou. bravo. And uh, like I always say, thank you for listening. If you like the show, share it. Uh, give us a rating on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you're watching on YouTube, you just happen to come across this, please hit the subscribe button, like it, and hit the uh, the alert bell. It lets you know when we go live, which is usually Wednesday nights. Uh, what else? What am I missing? Um, that's it. Like I always say. Doing this show for you people to quote my favorite artist, Morrissey, the pleasure, the privilege is mine. And tonight it's Mark's. And uh, listen to the Music Relish podcast. Check them out on their YouTube channel. It's always, it's, it's some deep dives, people. There's it's some deep, deep dives, dives in there. Yeah. yeah. And it's good stuff. It's good stuff. It's for those heavy hitter music fans. If you really want to learn something, don't listen to me. <laughs> don't listen to me. Listen to Lou and Barry. <laughs> I'm just drinking my wine. <laughs> I just drink my wine. I see you did the intro for the last show, though. Uh, yeah, I was like, you ever see Albert Brooks in uh, broadcast news when he finally yeah. gets to do the news? He's sweating. <laughs> Hi, you've uh... <laughs> welcome to Music Relish podcast. Perry staring at me. Don't fuck it up. You guys take you take turns doing that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I thought so because Lou did the uh, Lou kind of has like an announcer's voice in a sense. Yeah, he does. Like if you if you put the the compressor on his voice a little, and the 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 you know the low, and that uh-huh. and he could probably get one of those really deep voices. Absolutely, he's made for voiceover. <laughs> I made for cartoon work. <laughs> for cartoon work, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, all right, everybody, thanks for listening. We've hit uh, just about the two hour mark, my friend. Shit, damn. <laughs> Holy smokes. I love it, though. I love it. And uh, I'll be back next week when I don't know who the co-host is going to be. Mark might get another return. I have to borrow him, though, from the Music Relish podcast. I do not want to step on anybody's toes. I'm very I'm very cautious of that. So, But it's up to him. He's a, it's a free world. Hey, he's free to do what he wants any old time.
There's not that there's saying. anything wrong with that. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. See you Thanks, next Scott. week. All right, buddy.